be humble as well because don't ever expect that big things are going to come because then you're probably just going to be disappointed. I never expected big things. I was always humble, but I always kept pushing and persevering. And I think if you do that in any regard, whether you want to become a lawyer, a doctor, or even a magician, uh, if you go ahead and actually push and just keep pushing, keep practicing, you know, eventually something's got to give, you know, something will happen eventually. Something good will come from it if you just keep pushing. Welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening today. And today we're very excited. We have Brendan Peel. He's been seen on Britain's Got Talent. He's also the star of uh, Travel Channel's Magic Caught on Camera. Welcome to the show today, Brendan. Hello. Uh, thank you very much for having me. So could you start by telling us a little, a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of where you are right now as far as what you do? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, my name is Brendan Peel. Uh, I'm a magician and mentalist. You can call me either one of the two. Uh, I'm from South Africa. Uh, I'm from a place in South Africa called Port Elizabeth. It's like a big town, small city type of situation. Um, and it's not really known for being an entertainment hub. But, uh, and, and that's kind of where I came from, where I went to school. You know, I even went to university down the road. Uh, actually, I went to Rhodes University. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, university it's quite um, popular right now with hashtag roads must fall it's kind of where it all started (laughs) but anyway um, so yeah so I'm kind of from this area well I am from this area and I got into magic at quite a young age Uh, when I was about 12 years old I started learning a couple of magic tricks and kind of from there I started doing table hopping magic Uh, the table hopping magic turned and grew into kind of uh, other type of smaller shows the smaller shows grew into bigger shows and now yeah I'm doing kind of a lot of international stuff and kind of breaking out of just the South African entertainment mold I suppose if you can call it that so what initially sparked that interest um, did you see magic or mentalism that sparked your interest yeah, well, I think, you know, with magic, uh, I was just always interested in the actual art of doing magic, or, or should I say, rather, I was watching guys like David Blaine uh, and Darren Brown. I don't know if you know those guys. You definitely probably know David Blaine. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a massive inspiration. I was I was quite young when I was watching his shows on TV uh, here in South Africa. He, he was quite popular, um, his TV shows. And I was watching his stuff, and I was like, this is just amazing, you know, what he's doing. And the, the moments of magic he's creating and the believability of it all was just mind blowing to me. And I always like wanted to do what he was doing type of thing. Um, so when I started learning a couple of magic tricks um, and doing some simple magic tricks for like people I know and their reactions that I got were like insane from like a, like a kind of basic magic trick, if I can call it that people would be like mind blown uh, and I was like, whoa, I wonder where, like, how far I can actually take this. So I started enhancing my techniques and improving kind of my skills uh, in the art of magic. And, like, I live for, like, kind of the reactions that people give within uh, magic. So so it's quite a thrill. It's a real thrill performing magic. It's, it's actually amazing. Yeah. So that's why I've been doing it so long. Um, I didn't ever think that it would become a legitimate career for me. 
just to be honest with you, I mean, who really thinks that becoming a magician could be a legitimate career, especially in South Africa? It's not definitely not the norm. Um, but kind of one thing kind of led to another. And yeah, that's again, like kind of how we are here. <laughs> and so you called it a, a basic type magic trick. Was it like pick a card type trick or what did you do? Yeah. So, so I think most magicians, when they're learning a trick for the first time, you tend to learn a, a card trick usually because most people have a deck of cards lying around somewhere. And I'm talking about my very first trick. I mean, this is years ago. This is like maybe 15 years ago, give or take. Um, so it was quite a, quite a while ago now. Um, but basically, yeah, I started off learning a lot of different card tricks. Uh, then you get into things like sleight of hand. I mean, I don't know how technical you want me to talk here, uh, the technical jargons and things, but you kind of start off with things that you don't need to necessarily invest a lot of money um, or even time for that matter in. I think most people, when they start magic, most novices or amateurs, you start learning uh, the basics, which are things that kind of you can just pick up from around the house. You can either build something or use like a deck of cards or whatever you, you want to do. That's kind of free and also, yeah, something that you can um, basically easily use and people know what it is like a deck of cards, yeah. And so how heavily are you practicing at this time, at, at um, that moment? Yeah, well, when I started, I mean, when I started off, I was practicing every day. Every day I would have a deck of cards in my hand. I would be doing flourishes. I would be doing different moves and things like that. I mean, that's kind of how you end up actually enhancing your skills. Uh, even if I'm just sitting there just watching TV or something, I'd always be playing with a deck of cards. Um, you know, these days, I hate to say it, but I, I don't actually practice as much, usually because I'm actually just doing just shows on the road basically all the time. But, and I'm kind of like constantly overwhelmed by how much like magic performances I'm doing. I mean, last year I did almost 150 shows in 2019, live shows, uh, stage shows mainly, which is quite a lot. So it's quite a lot of shows that I've been doing. So I don't like, sometimes I just like to have like a day off these days of just like kind of chilling and, you know, not really being so consumed by cards all around me and stuff. But especially the first, I would say almost 10 years of, of learning magic. I mean, I would always have a deck of cards on me or always have a trick ready kind of to go, no matter where I'd go, you know, going to a restaurant, I'm always thinking and trying out new things and whatnot. So, so yeah, and I think that's kind of how you learn to become a good magician is to always be ready to perform and always be practicing. Uh, like they say, practice makes perfect. And yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in that. That's for sure. So in those, and when you first got started in this, it sounds like you're you're practicing a lot of of um, magic and tricks that are already out there, right? Uh, when do you start yeah. to bring in the creativity piece in terms of you know kind of making them somewhat your own or even designing yeah. your own? No, that's a good and that's a good question. So I mean. I, I actually personally started doing that from quite a, a young age as well. Uh, not as young as obviously I just started because the first thing was learning those techniques. Yeah. But once I kind of, I wouldn't say even mastered those techniques, but once I knew how to do those techniques well enough for performances, um, I started taking those techniques and being creative with them. So I remember, especially when I was about 16, I started thinking of, okay, I know how to do this 
talking about cards again here, let's mm-hmm. just talk about cards um, just because it's what we're mentioning. But basically, I was thinking, okay, in, now I know how to do this technique. And I'm not going to give much away right now as to how the actual <laughs> techniques and tricks work. But there are things that once you know how to do a particular move, you can be like, okay, I can now then make a card appear either in my hat or I can make a card appear in my pocket. Now, uh, you know, that's where the creativity comes in. Maybe I can create a little story saying that this is this hat that I'm wearing is like a magic hat. You know, show the hat empty, put it on, do the card trick. Uh, they sign the card and then the, the signed card ends up in my hat. And the whole story of it being a magic hat. I mean, this is a very basic story right now. I mean, you, you know, it's quite A to B type of story. But, um, but just that creativity that's behind it. Uh, is kind of what really keeps me going and i like to create my own effects for the past your know, good good few years almost 10 years i've been um really creating my own stage effects as well i do get inspired by other magicians though of course i think most magicians do as well you do get inspired by the performers uh, i don't like to copy other any any other entertainers or any other magicians but uh, i like i said i do get inspired but then try and add my own creativity or my own kind of angle to the effect or to the performance whether it be in words or storyline or actual effect um yeah and so that covered years 12 through 16 at any point are you working with a mentor during this time um so in in pe it's quite port elizabeth is called pe by the way port elizabeth (laughs) Um, but yeah, in PE, it's quite difficult to find a magic mentor because there weren't many. Um, however, there was one. So there was one guy. Uh, his name is Mark Rose Christie. Uh, he was the only guy that I actually ever came across at, 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 again, that young age. And he used to do grander scale illusions. Um, he actually like used to know David Copperfield and stuff like that. Uh, but at one point, he was kind of like quite a big name in South African magic i suppose uh and and he graciously took me kind of under his wing for a while uh he helped me a lot with stage crafting um as a kind of performer a magic performer he, he's very good he was a very good uh mentor in that sense that he really guided me um to create like a spectacle when on stage i mean our, our kind of performance styles do differ a bit he's a bit more like um what's the word like i guess kind of dramatic in a way or theatrical rather is a better word he's more theatrical whereas i am kind of uh more up i like to break the fourth wall i'm not as theatrical i I like to kind of talk directly to the audience i won't say in a haphazard way um but it it doesn't when you watch my show you probably won't think it's that rehearsed it seems very conversational in a way uh which is a bit different to other other magicians because they're very uh, not everyone obviously but there's quite a few magicians that are very like downs like to the script you know <laughs> which is great and and people love that as well so yeah but he he was my first mentor that helped kind of guide me to uh yeah start doing start taking my stage shows more seriously and improving my stage shows quite immensely and so the, around 16 or so you said that you were beginning to incorporate your own style somewhat uh, what happens after that yeah well i mean okay so let's say so 16 i started incorporating my own style uh by the time i was 18 i did my first proper stage show 
that was ticketed. I was actually the youngest uh, magician ever to perform at the largest festival in South Africa. It's actually mm-hmm. the largest festival in Africa, actually. It's called the National Arts Festival. Um, there's actually a virtual version of it going on now online. So, yeah, and I'm also part of that, the virtual part of it. Um, but, yeah, so I was the youngest guy to ever do that at 18. And that is such a great uh, platform. Think of it basically as like the Edinburgh Festival, but in South Africa, basically. Um, and and it's, it's slightly smaller than the Edinburgh Festival, but it's the same kind of idea where it gives entertainers and performers of all types all kinds of performers uh, it gives them a kind of a platform to be able to put their work on and uh, perform kind of whatever they want to perform so i naturally created a, a one person uh, solo magic show and it was quite uh, yeah it was quite daunting to go and actually do it because it was my very first stage show i didn't know if people were going to buy tickets to come and watch the show you know, you go in, you don't know what's going to happen, but I promoted it like crazy. <laughs> and um, basically it was quite a success. And actually people's responses to the show were amazing. People were telling me great things. And when people gave that feedback, this is in 2011 now as well, by the way. Um, so when people gave that great feedback, I kind of thought, you know, there's something here, you know, there is something, it's, it's something that could be semi-sustainable for at least a while. Uh, and what I did was I took the money I earned from that first festival and I essentially invested it into the second year, you know, the 2012 festival where I could then, uh, you know, buy more flyers and get more advertising and make the show bigger and better. And that's basically what I've been doing every year is I've been taking what I've kind of like made and like reinvesting it as it were. Um, and building quite a brand uh, in that festival like last couple of years i think the last since 2015 i've been pretty much consecutively the top selling magician at the festival and i have been also in the top 10 at least uh sellers overall uh, or, or top 10 producers actually overall and so how did that gig come about for you was it your promotion did someone else reach out to you how did that go Oh yeah, well, it's it's basically if you feel your show is good enough, you can essentially apply and go and actually do it. Um, I think a lot of people are, but like I was also scared to put my kind of work on a platform and be judged because you don't exactly want to go do a show and then everyone says, "Oh, that was terrible" or whatever. So, so a lot of people, I think that fear it holds a lot of people back. And if there's any entertainers or aspiring entertainers watching or listening, I would say. Just go ahead and just do it. Uh, just take the leap. And that's what I did. I just took the leap. I was lucky that I took the leap at a young age. Um, but, but yeah, like I, I just basically applied uh, and I had a good idea for the show. Like, you know, you do a whole write-up of what the show is going to entail and things like that. Uh, but there's no, there is curation or was curation, but there was no like serious, serious curation. Uh, it's basically a fringe festival in a way. And prior you to were, oh, oh sorry go. you were you said you were nervous but you kind of took the leap what was it like like right before as you're about to go do the show yes i was i was very nervous i think it was kind of very surreal um it was very surreal for me that first show i mean i was 18 uh i remember there was still i mean it was a small audience small 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 venue um 
and I think I, I can't even recall the first day. I think there was about fifty or sixty people, which is quite a lot mm. for for first show. And um, yeah, I just remember kind of being like, you know, I, like this is basically all or nothing. You know, either way, I'm just going to put my all into it. If people don't enjoy it as much, then you know, at least I tried my best. You know, and that's kind of what I ended up uh, doing basically. Uh, and and luckily it paid off or, or i mean you know it paid off and worked worked itself out basically which is great and did that decision to go full-time in to the field or performance yeah. did that happen before or after this first ticketed opportunity no i've i've never i i haven't actually ever made that decision to actually go full-time it's just that I just started getting busy and busy and got getting more and more shows that I just, I literally just don't have time for another job. Um, I mean, like seriously, I mean, in time of COVID, it's a little bit different because uh, obviously there's no shows going on whatsoever or no real like live stage shows. But um, outside of that, I mean, like I said, last year I did 150, almost 150 shows. Uh, the year before that, I think I did 120 uh yeah and the year before that i was on the cruise ship for a while um and and yeah so like i just literally just i can't say that there was a defining moment where i was like cool i'm gonna do this 100 percent full time it was more just like becoming more and more busy and doing more and more shows but i've also always like upskilled myself as i was a performer like currently right now i'm actually still doing my mba uh my master's in business administration and that helps tremendously you know i did my postgrad in uh, enterprise management as well in 2016 uh, i have a degree in journalism and drama so like i'm always upskilling myself if i can say that um so it's not like yeah but 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 basically magic keeps me more busy than anything else it's actually pretty it gets pretty crazy at times really sure. and did that feeling that you mentioned early on that you didn't know if people would like it. Has that, does that feeling persist every time you perform or has that gone away? Uh, it's, it has, it has gone away now. Um, like I can pretty much objectively say that the show is pretty good. My show is pretty good. Uh, and that's not like, I'm just saying it's, it's semi-objective because I've done it so many times, literally hundreds and hundreds, probably almost over a thousand times I've performed and generally speaking the reaction has been amazing of course there's always some people that might not enjoy magic as a whole or maybe they just don't really like my particular show but overall um the show is good i like i know i have confidence that my show is good i know it's good um so so if someone doesn't like it i'm like okay maybe it's just you know it's it's still a subjective thing you know just watching any type of entertainment think of the top comedians in the world right now or top American comedians, some people would say, oh, Amy Schumer is amazing. And then some people might say Amy Schumer is the worst comedian in the world type of thing. So, but either way, she has an audience and she also has people that maybe don't like her work type of deal. I'm not just pointing her out and you know, <laughs> there's no particular reason why I'm bringing her out. I'm just saying that you can say that about any comedian, any entertainer. So, so yeah, but, but she obviously would have the, confidence that yes there are still lots of people out there that enjoy her work and uh you know laugh when she says jokes basically so it, so yes 
is it having an audience and knowing that you've got that following that kind of feeds that confidence or are there other things that give you that 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 sense mm. of, of of assuredness yeah i would say i would say it's largely because like i said i've been going back to the same festival this is the 10th year now going back well now it's obviously a virtual situation mm -hmm. but previously the last nine years every year i've been going back and every year you know they say that the numbers don't lie right i'm still going back to the same festival but the numbers are always improving and growing in my show surely if the show was you know bad the numbers would either stagnate or decrease or whatever so yeah so that's something that i can say that you know that following um that you were talking about there i can say that yeah it, it does give you confidence to know that okay maybe what you're doing is good especially if you keep going along the same lines of you know i don't drastically change my show every year uh if i start doing some like i don't know drastic shifts within the show then maybe things might change and, and maybe i'd be nervous again look i still get very nervous right before i perform something that i haven't done before that's something big that that if i haven't ever performed that particular effect or illusion before i do get quite um yeah like a bit you know nervous about it because it's like i don't know what the response is going to be because there's certain things i've done literally hundreds of times that i know gets a good response every time but you know, if there's something that I haven't done before, yeah, it does still get a little bit, you know, yeah, a little bit jittery. I mean, no more so than, uh, you know, with the Britain's Got Talent thing. I mean, that was definitely the most, and that, that happened this year. Britain's Got Talent happened in January. Uh, well, we recorded it in January and definitely that was the most nervous I've ever been for a show ever in my life. Um, there we are standing uh there on the britain's got talent stage and and there i'm standing and uh, with my partner lee lau over there my performing partner and yeah i was never more nervous than in that moment right there <laughs> i can guarantee you that much so i was curious uh musicians often mention musical artists mention that they get tired sometimes of playing their greatest hits do you ever get yeah. tired of performing a particular act or composing um, show? That's a that's a good question and thank you for that. Uh, I kind of sometimes do uh, not that not the one from BGT because yeah that one's a bit different, but there's certain ones that I've done over and over again. I mean, there's certain especially card tricks and my opening effect within my live show. I've done so many hundreds of times that yeah you kind of do sometimes want to get a little bit of a put a little bit of a change in it just to switch it up just a little bit you know so. Uh, I would definitely say that sometimes it does get a little bit um, after I'm talking like after at least 250 performances of a, of a particular effect, then it starts to get like, yeah, you, you kind of want to do something different for yourself as well, just to keep it fresh for yourself. You know, I mean, who wants to do the exact same thing every single day for like 10 years, you know, right. like the exact same thing. <laughs> so, and I guess I kind of derailed from the picture. So what was it like when, arriving on the stage here and all eyes on you. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. we can derail all you like. Um, <laughs> I'm happy, I, I often derail when I'm talking anyway. But uh, yeah, the BGT thing was just, no, it was just phenomenal when you, you know, when you grow up, uh, like when I was growing up watching BGT and AGT and that type of stuff, you know, you look at it, you're like, 
as an entertainer or performer, like that's where you want to be. Like you want to be on that stage, like trying to impress the judges, you know? Um, and so, so it was very like surreal again. So going back, like, you know, the very first time that was super surreal for me was that first time walking on stage uh, in 2011, first stage show that I did. Uh, and definitely in recent times, the most surreal, the most surreal that any type of show has ever felt for me was, yeah, walking on stage there, Britain's Got Talent. Uh, it definitely felt like just a dream. Like it didn't even feel real for half the time. And the thing we do in the show is extremely dangerous. So um, I don't know how much you know about this crossbow effect that myself and a performing partner who he's a, he's an escape artist named Li Lao, um, we do this very unique act. We created it. The, we're the only people in the world that do it. Um, and basically, it's extremely dangerous because there's a crossbow that's aimed at Lee's head. I have to solve Rubik's Cubes in order to save Lee time to escape from the chair that he's chained in in front of the crossbow. It's quite a like a complicated thing. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, go check it out on YouTube or Facebook. And um, yeah, like we were actually called by uh, Lad Bible. I don't know if you know Lad Bible, mm -hmm. but Lad Bible called our act pretty much the most dangerous act ever seen on BGT. So yeah, go check it out. I mean, obviously that is what made it even more nerve wracking because the very time before we went on BGT and performed that act, uh, we did it six months before that and, and it went wrong. And uh, Li Lao got shot in the head with the crossbow and he almost died that day so i don't actually know if you guys know that or not but when the story went pretty viral wow. uh like we were actually picked up by fox news um and there was so many actually i can't even recall i think we were on like a whole bunch of different media houses people being like magician shoots assistant or magician shoots co-performing the head with a crossbow uh, which they totally actually interesting uh, interesting thing about that whole kind of situation is that they actually misreported so many so much of the information was incorrect uh, I mean the way it was worded in a lot of these stories was basically like I purposely try to kill my, po my partner on stage with a crossbow and it's just not the case like it was an accidental timing error um, I don't actually touch the crossbow when it happens but anyway so that's kind of that's also how we actually ended up getting our break on bgt was because they heard about the story of uh these magicians down in south africa shooting themselves in the heads or getting shot in the head with crossbows basically <laughs> which we can laugh you do it live <laughs> yeah and we said that was going to be the last time we ever do it um look if agt or a major um like a major platform like that wants us to come and, you know, perform it again, we will perform it again for a major platform, but just randomly in our normal show, we are probably not going to perform it for a very long time. If not, I don't think we'll ever perform it again on our normal stage show. Uh, Talk us through how did you meet uh, the partner that you work with? Yeah, Li Lao. Well, Li Lao uh, kind of went through the same thing as I went through. He used to live in London. Uh, but he's originally from Port Elizabeth as well in, in South Africa here. And so, so he was in London and when he came back, 
he wanted to get back into like magic and stuff. At this point, I was kind of growing as a performer. I was doing more and more shows around South Africa and I was quite well known in Port Elizabeth as an entertainer and as a magician. So he, he kind of was faced with the same thing as I was, you know, a couple of years before mm-hmm. or 10 years before, almost 10 years, yeah. Um, that he was looking for other magicians to connect with in PE. And that's where he kind of came across what he found out about me, obviously, because I was doing a lot of shows. And he just contacted me saying, hey, he's also a magician. Do you want to just meet up and grab a coffee or something? And yeah, we became friends. You know, we 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 started off just talking about magic, but he's a very good friend of mine. And we actually, we connect very well. We have, yeah, we, we just have a good rapport with each other. Um, and And there was a time that we just kind of said, hey, like why don't we just try and do like a bit of a show together just for fun well not for fun but you know to try and go and take it to different festivals and ticket the show and stuff like that and our show we created together was very unique we work quite well with each other and we bounce ideas and yeah we always sharing ideas and coming up with new stuff and yeah so very randomly we, we basically befriended each other because yeah, we're the only magicians from PE, <laughs> or pretty much only a couple of them. Has he fully recovered it from his injury? Yes. So, oh yeah, that's another thing with the whole story because obviously a lot of news houses uh, they like to, you know, sensationalize. I'm not going to mention any names, but news houses like to sensationalize stories to get clicks because clicks equal money. And of course, the at the end of the day, a lot of these news houses they are basically selling news to us. That is essentially what a lot of them are doing. Again, not all. Um, So sometimes it is subjective, even if they claim it to be objective. Uh, I know because, like I said, I studied, I have a degree in journalism, so I know what goes down here. Um, But basically, you know, the headline of magician shoots co-performer in the head with a crossbow. That will get clicks, you know. That will get... um, and 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 to, to be fair, it was partially correct, um, and, and, but it was hyper sensationalized because yes, it did go through his head, but it went through like his his skin over here. Yeah, he could have died. I'm not I'm not denying that he definitely could have died that day, and and we count our lucky stars that he didn't. It was it was a close call to say the least. Um, but he was genuinely fine. Like it just needed to be removed from his head. And the very next day we went and did our show again. Uh, we didn't do that particular act again. We, cause we, we were a little bit, yeah, we were a little bit freaked out about that act uh, after that. Um, but it was mainly because we were doing so many shows. We were just doing show after show after show uh, that you kind of get like an autopilot and it's very dangerous to be an autopilot if there is an effect or something you need to do that's especially if you know someone's life or health is on the line um i don't know if you've ever experienced that as an entertainer or a performer but i definitely have where if i get on too much of autopilot um i don't i might like mess up i didn't yeah i'm not saying i messed up that day but i'm just saying we might not have been you know uh, we might have just been like yeah an autopilot thinking oh everything's going to be okay and then at the end of the day it wasn't but he was fine, you know, in a couple of hours, everything was kind of fine. The stories that blew up in different places uh, and it may, basically sounded like he almost died. That was a lot of the stories. I mean, people came up to me, people that knew me 
and heard the story, came up to me and said, oh, my condolences. And I'm just like, I don't know where you read that, but he never, he, he didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, uh, we do know that expertise, that's one drawback is autopilot. An expert yeah. can actually get too comfortable. So, um, so how did uh, your TV show come about? Well, to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm actually, I, I mean, I, I do a lot of things on Instagram and um, I have followers like in the US, in uh, quite a few in Europe as well, obviously in South Africa. And yeah, I, I believe from what I believe, they found out about me from Instagram because uh, they saw like I post videos and I'm always up to something on all these social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, not as much YouTube, but I do post some stuff on YouTube. There's a few videos out there. Um, and basically, yeah, they just saw my stuff and they thought, cool, let's get you on to as, as kind of the South African performer. Because, uh, of course, they want they have different uh, magicians from around the world. I don't know if you know, like, uh, Jabrizi or uh, Justin Willman. I don't know if you know him. He's from the Netflix TV show, um, Magic for Humans. So he's yeah. another guy that's in it as well. So uh, there's some big names in there uh, in terms of the magic world. And I was selected as the kind of African, South African contingent to make it like global kind of um, make the show more global, which I thought was great. And I'm honored to be selected for that show. And I'm honored to be part of the show. It was absolutely amazingly fun to be part of. Uh, the show so far has been getting great responses and yeah, I, they've really expressed interest um, yeah, to even have me in a more integral role in terms of performing for a possible season two, should season two be picked up. Uh, yeah, you'll be seeing a bit more of me, hopefully. Uh, yeah. yeah, and Travel Channel, shout out to Travel Channel, you guys are awesome. <laughs> Going back to, not because I want to pick apart this, the experience you had like the news did, but because of my, I'm a performance coach, right? So I'm fascinated by how people get themselves ready to perform and what happens yeah. when, when things go right versus don't go right. Hmm. How long had you had, uh, worked on and practiced that, um, that trick and that show before oh, doing the, it? The crossbow one. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, cro the crossbow one, the crossbow one, um, we created in 20 uh we were really practicing it towards the end of 2017 so i give or take 2017 end of 2017 we started actually performing it only six months after uh in 2018 uh and we had performed it i mean i'm not even sure exactly how many times but by the time lee got shot uh we had performed it live on stage about 25 times give or take 25 times basically um so so yeah so but we but we had practiced before uh in like our workshop we've practiced I, I don't even know like loads of times though um the main thing we needed to practice was basically getting the timing right mm -hmm. uh we had a few issues though and and a few things uh, because there's so many variables involved mm -hmm. and a lot of these variables like the water dripping out of the, the bottle if it's super cold, sometimes that water drips out a bit uh, slower. If it's warm, it sometimes drips out a bit quicker. Um, you know, I'm solving Rubik's cubes as fast as I can, but these Rubik's cubes are all mixed up. I can't tell you, uh, like, you know, I kind of have a general time frame as to how long it takes me to solve a Rubik's cube, mm -hmm. but sometimes 
uh, it might take a couple of seconds longer or shorter. So there's so many of these variables. And as well, same with Lee, picking the locks. Like, you know, sometimes if you do one or two fumbles, next thing you know, um, time has been killed. Uh, hopefully, yeah. That, that didn't mean to be any pun or anything there, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's what so I find fascinating, right? Because as you get further and further along in your career, you're doing harder things, more challenging things, involving somebody yes. else. They're getting more dangerous. Yeah. They're requiring more precision. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I mean, that's, and that's something that I will pretty much continue doing. I have been thinking about some other crazy stuff. Um, and myself and Lee were working on some other stuff Um, but essentially it's kind of it's a little bit of a shame in a way because what what it really means is that in today's in you know the 21st century if you want to really make your mark as an entertainer on like the kind of global scale you have to do something like really extraordinary either you have to be the number one at your kind of skill or you have to do something that's going to really like draw the crowds in or, or something completely unique and different. And honestly, people like danger. People like the danger effects. They, they, they like try not to look away, but really they actually enjoy watching. And to be fair, we never, cre- we never created that thing thinking that it would become so big. Like we never created it thinking that we created it basically because we wanted to just push our own limits and that's kind of what we continuously do um after the crossbow thing happened and it went wrong this is now last year by the way uh when it did go wrong we both kind of said okay maybe we went too far that time let's scale it back we can still do dangerous stuff but we don't have to literally risk one of our lives type of thing um granted when britain's got talent contacted us and said they want us to do that it was a good background story etc etc I mean, like I said, any entertainer, we did chat about it and we both said like, listen, let's think about it. But we kind of both knew and even Lee said like, because he's the guy in front of the crossbow, so ultimately it would be his choice if he wants to or not. Um, But we decided we have to, we just have to do it. Otherwise we'd spend the rest of our lives not knowing, you know, if we ever would have, if, you know, something would have come out from the whole BGT thing. So we, we, we did it. We, I wouldn't say reluctantly, but we, we were just kind of got our head in the, in the game, in the zone. And we were like, okay, we're going to do this. And we went and we, and we did it. And, and funny enough, that BGT performance um, was pretty much one of the best, if not the best, I think we've ever done it. Because sometimes there was a couple of fumbles and sometimes there's this and that, that goes wrong. But that particular time was in my mind and in Lee's mind, it was like our number one well-timed. It was, a, yeah, it was just great for us to actually, for everything to like work out well on the big stage. Yeah, that was crazy. That's awesome. Um, so you talked about being such a young, recognized being such a young performer, picking it up at a young age to you. Mm. Was there a point that you recognized that you were on a trajectory that was greater or faster? Than other folks as far as getting good at it um <clears throat> you know that's a it's a difficult question to answer but i mean in my in my hometown i started getting some decent recognition i mean kind of if i ever go out somewhere there's always going to be someone that knows me um 
I won't say they all flock over to get signatures or something, but a lot of people say, oh, you're the magician, right? Especially also at my university, uh, at Rhodes University, when I was there, like every, like I was like well-known on campus as the magician. Like, you know, maybe they've never seen me do a magic trick, but they'd say, oh, that's, they might not even know my name is Brendan, you know, but they'd be like, oh, that's the magic guy. So, so you kind of coming from a smaller town and smaller area, you kind of get known if you're doing this type of stuff, you kind of get known a bit quicker. Um, and then, you know, I went and I did, uh, in 2017, uh, 2017, 18 and 19, basically I've been touring my various shows across South Africa. So, you know, I'm always out and about my posters are always being put up around the country. Um, you know, I'm doing quite a lot of shows. Like I said, I mean, I'm always on stage with lots of people watching or at least a decent amount of people watching. So <clears throat> you kind of just get more and more kind of recognized, I suppose, the more you do it. It's not as if, like I said, it's not as if I could just walk anywhere in South Africa and people will be like, oh, I want an autograph. But chances are in most places, people would, there's at least a couple people in each kind of like shopping mall or something that someone someone in there will know who I am <laughs> type of thing well in your own mind were you able to appreciate how fast or how young you were how skilled you were at such a young age I guess um I think it's mainly because I started so young also I, I mean I didn't actually mention this earlier um but I started doing drama when I was uh, very young so I was doing acting when I was seven eight oh. maybe <laughs> So, so it, it, it always helped. Um, so performing the magic was never an issue for me because I was a performer before I even learned magic tricks. So, uh, you know, I could always just go on stage and, and be comfortable on stage. And that's half of what magic is. So it was just about learning the various techniques. Um, but definitely that combination really helped. So like a lot of people would always say, wow, you're like, people would always say, wow, oh my word, you're only 21. Well, when I was 21 and I was doing so many decently large scale shows, people would say, oh, you're only 21. Oh, you're only 22 type of thing. Um, and and I think I think it's just because I've had so many hours on stage now uh, that I even wish I started even younger. I wish I started younger. I wish, you know, I was, I was having this conversation with you now when I was 23 or something because I wish I started magic when I was like six it would have been even better, but, um, but yeah, I suppose I, I did get quite a, a, a lucky start in the sense where I started quite young. And this is kind of a lighthearted statement, but I have this image, like if it was Gerald or somebody from Tennessee, just a random person, I almost have this image of when they're beginning, it's almost like people turn away from the person like he that does magic all the time before they're good at it. <laughs> Did you ever oh, like in the beginning, yeah, you're like, yeah. Hey, let's get away from him. He's going to show us magic. And then eventually you get enough people want to yeah. see it. Yeah. That's pretty much how it kind of goes down. Um, I mean, look, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult to say, but yeah, no, no one, I would say no one really like ran away, but a lot of people were just like, you know, uh, whatever. It's just <laughs> the scattering or, you know, like, ah, uh, he just does magic. You know, it's a bit different. It's, left field but that's just about it really um luckily i never had anyone that like like i said no one really like ran away or got super irritated or anything as well i wasn't ever that magician that was like oh let me show you a trick let me show you a trick 
I like to build a little mystery behind it. So I let people ask me, if someone asked me to show them a magic trick, I'll show them. Um, but I wasn't usually that guy. Well, I tried not to be that guy that was like, let me show you a trick, let me show you a trick. <laughs> Just because sometimes people do get, yeah, sometimes people do feel some type of way about that thing, that type of stuff. I used to do a lot of joke writing and it took me a long time to realize that my wife, she had this saying, or this phrase that, uh, it was you should put that between two good ones <laughs> and it never I, it took me a lot too long to realize that she didn't like the j hearing jokes all the time so, uh, so yeah, uh, no you look yeah and i don't blame i don't blame uh, the people that did get like a little bit annoyed after a while you can't blame them because you know you can't be just overboard all the time with the performing or joke telling or whatever i i think that's just my opinion as well obviously sure. But, um, but it's quite strange that since you kind of, or since I've kind of got a little bit more well-known, now people are like, now, now when I go to, when I go places, people are often being like, oh, show me a trick, show me a trick. And yeah, these was... days, actually, I just don't have the time or I just say, listen, just, I'm doing a show like next week here in town, just come to the show. I'm not going to do every, I'm not going to do a magic trick for everyone who asks type of thing, because there's just too many people. <laughs> Sure. Well, full disclosure, I think your uh, work is amazing. So, um, what do you view as keys to your success? Um, you know, I think I think a combination of having a good performance style. I think you know you have to be a good performer, right, in order to actually get any kind of success out of being a performer. You have to be at least good. I'm not saying even great. I'm just saying at least good. Uh, and then beyond that, I think, you know, you have to have some good business acumen um, because essentially a lot of people, what I feel, again, this is just my opinion, but I feel like a lot of uh, artists just see it as exactly that, an art, which it is an art. But if you want to make money from that art, it's all of a sudden a business on any type of scale that you're looking at, but it is a business nonetheless. So um if you're just focusing it on as, as an art you pro you lessen your chances of actually becoming kind of commercially successful whereas you look at it as yes an art form that you can kind of um monetize or kind of um what's the word like market your 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 art right uh, and that obviously will mean that you'll be getting more sales obviously if you if you have a good show and and you know how to market it that's like a perfect combination. So I feel like because something I've always loved is I've loved business. Um, just I've always been an entrepreneur since I was a child, even before magic, like I've just been interested in, you know, I was always buying and selling things and doing like these kind of uh, part of these uh, little sale days at junior school and all that. And so I've always just had that kind of mindset. Um, yeah, I've just loved business. So it's a great um, kind of thing to have as well, that I love business. I love the art of magic. I love being creative, creating the magic. So putting it all together is like, it's just absolutely fun for me, you know, strategizing to come up with like a business plan or a plan as to how to market a particular show, uh, get more sales or get, you know, uh, more people through the door. You know, it's 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 great to think, I just really just enjoy that basically. And and I think that's another uh, a key to the kind of success, as you said, is basically enjoying what you're doing. Um, 
and the minute I don't enjoy what I do, I just won't do it, you know. Um, but but because I enjoy it so much, and I, I actually want to go out there, and I want to push myself and get as many sales as I can for my next show. I want as many shows as I can. I've always been hungry, like even with 150 shows. No, I, like okay, COVID is obviously a different situation, but you know, this year I want I wanted to break my record from last year. You know, I wanted to do 200 shows this year. And next year, I want to do 250. And then eventually, I want to be doing a show every day. I want to be in Vegas. You know, I want this stuff. And I, I just won't ever stop until I get there because I just, you know, I just keep motivated. And yeah, I don't know if you could tell I get a little bit passionate when I talk about <laughs> that. But um, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. I, was, I was actually wondering could uh, we hire you as a life coach? It's, uh, <laughs> it's encouraging. So, yeah. what, what have you learned about yourself throughout your journey? Ah, that's a good question. I mean, it's hard to say because obviously I, you know, my journey started when I was a child, essentially, and now I'm not a child. So like my life, even if I didn't do magic, my life would have changed the whole way anyway. Like there are different phases, but I think magic uh, in particular has helped me basically be more of a problem solver. You know, it, it kind of pushes you to take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, so I mean, well, that's separate to the problem solving thing, but obviously doing magic, you know, it's like, you know, it's like a puzzle in a way, like usually puzzle lovers like doing magic or magicians like doing puzzles rather. Um, and, and, and yeah, so you kind of, I, 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 when I see a problem, if you came with me, uh, came to me with a problem, uh, chances are I would have probably a different kind of, way of of solving that problem uh, an unconventional way and and i think magic is the main thing that has kind of pushed me down that route um especially and I, it's definitely helped me with like the whole marketing and understanding other people i think that's a big thing is understanding other people is i don't think i would understand people as much if i didn't do magic because i'm always surrounded by people um, again, not in COVID, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, usually I'm surrounded by people just dealing with people all the time and it really helps to understand how other people are. And, um, I do get a kick out of that. And I also get a kick out of understanding the kind of, like I said, the markets of, of different people and how different people can be kind of categorized in a way. I mean, I may be going a little bit off on a tangent here about like the different things, but, um, but yeah, basically people do tend to actually ask me about uh, like, as basically a business consultant, people have actually like asked me to help consult on their business, whether it be a smallish business. Okay. Usually some of them, most of them are like small businesses, no, you know, grand scale things, but um and I do actually come up with things that they're like, oh my word, they never thought of it, uh, in, especially in the marketing department of like how to get the name of their show or the name of their uh, company out there and things. So I, I have learned that I I think I, I, I am good with people. I think I am, I think I'm understanding and I think I'm a very good problem solver. Yeah. Makes sense. Would you say that you're also a thrill seeker? I think that's one thing that, you know, people tend to assume about magicians and people in your line of work, that they like the thrill and, and doing kind of yeah. more difficult you know, things. I used, to, I, I used to, I used to like the thrill. Um, I mean, I like the thrill of going on stage, just going on stage, doing even a card trick. That's a thrill to me, at least. 
But in terms of being like an adrenaline junkie, uh, look, I mean, we did do that thing with the crossbow that's definitely adrenaline of note, like definitely. <laughs> but um, you will never see me do like a bungee jump. You will never see me jump out of an airplane. Uh, so in that regard, I won't go that far. But I, I do, I am, I am like a thrill seeker, but not to like that degree in a way. Uh, I'm outgoing. Um, well, I'm introverted and ex I'm an omnivert actually. I think um, depending in what situation I am in and who I'm with and things, which I think a lot of people are anyway. But yeah, I definitely am like a big time omnivert. But um, I wouldn't go. Like I said, like I wouldn't go for such a thrill as I don't know. Yeah, like bungee jumping or. Um, I can't even actually think of what else is 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 as defines a thrill seeker, but I am an outgoing. Sorry, that's actually where I was going with this: is that I am still an outgoing person. I do like uh, adventures. I like exploring the world. I really like learning about the different places in the world. Um, and honestly, I would love to like visit every country in the world. Uh, I just know it's going to cost a lot of money and be yeah, take quite a while. <laughs> Probably take like. <laughs> Yeah, a long time to actually really experience the whole world, but I'd love to do that. Yeah. And I was curious, which do you find most enjoyable? Is it the large, elaborate stage shows, or do you like the person on the street type of magic better? Uh, to be honest, uh, personally, I've always been a stage performer. Uh, I do both types of magic and I enjoy both, but just for me, just being on stage is like that is where I'm at home. A stage show. Um, usually with a semi-intimate audience, I would say between 100 and 150 people that, you know, me on stage, 100, 150 people, an hour-long show, that is what I live for, literally. Like, that's what I do. And it's what I do, in my opinion, best what I do is that. <laughs> so if a promoter wanted to book you for Madison Square Garden in New York City, would you do the auditorium show? Oh, no, I'll definitely, I'll definitely come and do it. <laughs> like, you gotta, yeah, no, no, definitely I would come and do it. I'll do any show. Uh, and if I'm selling tickets, I mean, the bigger, the better. Like, I have done plenty of shows with four, five hundred people there. But I'm just saying the intimacy I do prefer. But, you know, if you want to book me for Madison Square Garden, uh, you pull some strings, I'll be there next week. No problem. <laughs> I might just have to swim there though, because I don't think we can fly right now. Yeah, and you might be the only one in there, and they're just videoing it to send out to everybody else yeah, at the moment. Yeah, I'm still Square Garden. I don't know if that had the effect that you want. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a fellow, a fellow South African, uh, you know, sold out Madison Square Garden now, Trevor No. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and he's proof that like anything is possible no matter where you're from, because, you know, he's also from here, from South Africa. And, uh, he's doing obviously big things so sure. it's quite it's quite great to see you know whether you're a fan of his comedy or not it's you know he's kind of the poster boy for south african success <laughs> in terms you, of entertainment so you have that you know that as a model and other people and you talked about your hunger you know and, and drive that you have yeah. has there ever been a point though where you you know questioned your ability to to continue to go out there and book shows and all that or is it always felt like it's kind of rolled along? no no definitely i mean definitely definitely i've questioned it um i think i think anyone if you ask any other entertainer if they have questioned it and they said they haven't they're probably lying because every entertainer has questioned it at some point 
Some question it more than others, granted. Um, definitely in this time of COVID, I am questioning things, which is quite strange because the, the Travel Channel TV show and the Britain's Got Talent was like all aired and came out in this time of lockdown and COVID. So a lot of people are now like talking and a lot of people are excited about it. But the thing is, is I'm still sitting basically at home. Uh, you know, I've been doing some virtual shows and things, but it's just not the same. I just, it's not the same. I mean, I'll still do it because I, I do still get a kick out of it and it is still magic and performance and stuff, but it's not like proper stage shows where, like I said, it's my favorite. Um, so basically in this time, yeah, it is. You do kind of question, you know, when when is the next, especially yeah, you know, like when is the next show going to happen? You know, when is the next live stage show going to occur for me? I don't know. So it is a time of uncertainty, and there's been plenty of times like that in the past. Because um, yeah, you do get some months that are just like an empty month, uh, you know, where there's just not much going on. There's no there's no real inquiries happen happening. And you're just like kind of sitting on the couch for like a week and you're like, is like, you know, is this what I actually, you know, should I be doing this? Shouldn't I be like being more productive somehow? Or I try and stay productive though, don't get me wrong. But in terms of like always marketing and things, but um, yeah, basically the bottom line is that of course I do, I do question these things sometimes. And what advice would you have for an aspiring mentalist or magician? Don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, jokes aside, I would say only do it if you, or, you know, it depends, depends on what regard or, or to what kind of degree you want to be a performing magician or mentalist. You don't have to be a full-time mentalist or magician to perform. You know, I know a lot of guys, they are just, they do it as a hobby, but they're very good. Uh, they have a normal job or whatever, and then they go and perform for friends and whatever they sometimes even do stage shows um so kind of do what feels right uh, i would say that would be the main thing you know if it feels good do it in terms of uh, if you're not hurting anyone else or if you're not kind of uh putting your yourself financially or otherwise at any risk then do whatever feels kind of do what feels good for you you know if you want to go ahead and perform for a thousand people and you aspire to perform for a thousand people each you know, buying a ticket for like $50, which is a lot of money in South Africa, just by the way, but um, to buy for a ticket. <laughs> um, if that's your, if that's your kind of aim, then figure out how you're going to do it and go ahead and actually do it. Whereas if you want to just kind of learn a couple of magic tricks and go down the road and just perform for your family, then do that as well. You know, um, there's no right answer. There's no one answer saying do it or don't do it. It's just, if it feels good to it, basically. And isn't, uh, you mentioned Trevor, Trevor Noah, isn't uh, Dave Matthews also from South Africa? Dave Matthews, the, the musician. Yes. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know he was, uh, he's, he's, is he big in America? Oh yeah. Especially, uh, he had the highest grossing tour for almost a decade in the United States. He was really big in the nineties to around 2005. Like people would okay. have, uh, make tracks to go see his show. So. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I'm getting, uh, he's a little bit before my kind of time there. And I sure. think he was kind of, um, he became more like Americanized in a way, uh, by the sounds of it. 
But uh, yeah, I believe he is South African as well. Don't quote me on that, but uh, I believe he is also. He was either born here or lived here for a while. One of the two. I mean, Elon Musk is South African as well. I don't know that. Yeah, he was born in Pretoria. Um, Yeah, I mean, Charlie's Tehran as well. Or Theron, as you probably pronounce it there. (laughs) But actually, the actual surname there is actually Tehran. I don't know if you know that or not. But that's actually the South African way of pronouncing it. But yeah, she's, she's also from South Africa. So there's a few... There's a few like big names out there in South Africa. I think for me, um, I mean, in America now, but from South Africa, uh, for me, I think, you know, I would say Trevor Noah is kind of the the guy to kind of look up to because magic and comedy is kind of, kind of, you know, you're a solo artist on stage. You know, Charlize Theron is like a, you know, movie actress who does movies. Uh, Dave Matthews is a musician and you know I, you know I don't really know too many musicians and stuff like I don't like I can't relate to a musician as much as I can relate to a comedian basically uh, just in performance kind of style yeah but yeah I know it's 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 great for them and you know uh, I'm always a, I'm a big supporter in supporting South African performers so yeah well Lauren and I met in graduate school and we studied under Anders Ericsson, who was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. He's considered one of the best known experts on expertise. Um, so we always ask this question during our interviews, and yeah. it's the classic nature versus nurture debate. And the extreme nature side is you're born with everything. There's no need to develop yeah. it. And extreme yeah, nurture. I'm familiar views. with the nature and nurture. Yeah, I'm familiar with that concept. Um, so you're asking me about the nature versus nurture. Yeah, so the... Uh, based on that continuum, where do you kind of fall, even if you were to put it in percentages? Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult to, well, let me think about the exact uh, percentage. I would definitely say it is more nurture um, in, in a sense where I, I am a big believer that anyone can kind of do anything that they want. If you want to, not, you know, if I go to like, say this 10, 10-year-old sitting there, if I say to them, like, if I kind of coach them all to become like magicians, as long as they wanted to do it. Um, but I think, you know, from all of them coming from the same start of just never doing a magic trick before, if each of them put the same amount of time of technique and practice in, they will all be good, if not great. They will all be kind of getting very, very good. So, like I said, I believe anyone can kind of do anything they want. However, the nurture, sorry, the nature part comes in, in a sense where uh, sometimes people just, just, just if you have 10 year olds, 10, 10 year olds here who are essentially, you know, they're very young children, um, just some of them just won't be interested in magic. And that's just, that's kind of in my mind, the nature part of it. So I believe you can kind of, I know it might be a little bit of a cliche, but I think people can kind of do whatever they set their mind to. Um, and if you set your mind today to become a lawyer, like right now, if you want to be a, become a lawyer, yeah, it might take you five or six years to, you know, go study and pass the bar and all that jazz. But if you decided today, you can do it. Like you can pretty much do it. You just have to actually, you actually have to put in the work to do it. Um, and that is what nurture essentially is, is putting in work to make something happen. You know, uh, whether it be, magic or music or anything else um i would then give it a percentage i would say of about 
it's called 75% nurture and 25% nature because some attributes I think are not necessarily ingrained um, but some attributes are like some people are just naturally have a knack for things you know if you have a knack for something that's more of a, a nature thing if you just naturally can um, like solve puzzles there's plenty of children like think children again because they have like a blank slate in their minds right you know there's plenty of children you could just naturally pick up at five years old just solving these puzzles and things like that i don't think that's taught at that age i think that's just you know like a genetical thing in your brain like or you know the genetic makeup in your brain or whatever you want to call it but basically it's already ingrained in you uh whereas Yes, uh, th there could be a child that might not be able to pro uh, solve a puzzle as quickly, but if he goes ahead and solves, you know, a thousand puzzles in a row, he will easily catch up to the other kid. But the other kid has to, like, you have to. What you put in is what you get out. Type of situation. Um, but yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big nurture believer. Well, that answer was so good. We can stop airing the podcast we can just end on <laughs> your episode that was a good answer Thank <laughs> you. Being, Thank I'm, I'm curious about the practice piece you mentioned before now you perform so much or you were prior to all this performing so much that you don't practice it as much you spend some more you know kind of time yeah. resting taking a break has your yeah. practice when you do practice though does it i guess what i'm getting at is is it do you practice less or has your practice evolved at this point um, well at this current point or at least the current point before COVID kind of hit um, basically every time I was performing I was keeping in practice rather than um, so if I just sat here and didn't do anything for a year I would have to definitely practice to get back to the level I was at which is kind of happening now I suppose but I am practicing now and stuff but because I was doing a show every other day and essentially doing similar to the same type of thing every time I go out and perform, uh, I was basically keeping in practice the whole time. You know, the whole 10,000 hours expert situation. Um, you know, now I've kind of plateaued. I don't actually know exactly how many hours I've performed or practiced. I, I, actually, I, I actually should go and figure that out. But whatever <laughs> hours they are, for every hour I'm going on stage now and performing, that's just adding to now my hours of practice, uh, even though I am performing professionally for people as well. So it's kind of, you're getting two birds, one stone situation. <laughs> you're practicing and performing at the same time. Is there anything that you feel is important for the listeners to know that we haven't asked? <sighs> um, you guys have asked uh, some nice questions as well, just by the way. Um, I think, I think, you know, I think something that's important just about generally performing, because I'm a big, I'm a big fan of just performers in general, uh, not necessarily just me as a magician or just magicians. Uh, I'm a big fan of supporting entertainers. And, you know, I think in this whole time of COVID, um, we should definitely give kind of entertainers a break. Uh, when I say give them a break, I mean rather we should kind of give entertain. I'm just trying to think of my my thoughts here now and 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 word them. But I feel like a lot of people give entertainers like they don't take entertainers seriously because oh 
I don't know how it is in America, but I know definitely here in South Africa, oh, you're you're a magician. Oh, what do you do for a real job type of thing? You know, oh, you're a comedian. Oh, what do you do for a real job though? You know, and that happens a lot. Um, and people need to realize and be aware because people are saying, oh, yeah, no, entertainers and artists are like definitely not essential for the lockdown. You know, that's what they're saying here. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, you guys are like the first ones to be cut off from any type of like economic activity, which is true. Uh, but then, you know, think about what people are, are doing. People are sitting at home, tuning into Netflix, watching hundreds of hours of TV and, uh, you know, Netflix shows, which have entertainers in uh, performing, you know, you're watching comedies and things like that. But they would still bash entertainers saying that, like, you know, oh, entertainers are, you know, not really essential or, you know, kind of a waste of time currently in this whole COVID situation. But best believe if there wasn't Netflix or any entertainment on TV or YouTube or anything, people would go crazy in this time. Uh, like people would be locked at home and not doing anything. Imagine just not being tuning into any form of entertainment, not listening to any music, not doing anything of that for the entire COVID time. You will, you will go crazy without uh, like, you know, entertainers are there to kind of um, just kind of suspend reality for you just for a fleeting moment. So you can kind of just, forget about the problems that you're experiencing at work or the whole COVID problem that's going around. Um, and yeah, that's something I just wanted to say is that uh, we should, we should sometimes take entertainers more seriously um, and not totally disregard them all the time. I'm not saying your viewers or listeners are doing that. I'm just saying that is something that some people do. No, and that's part of the purpose of the podcast, right? You've you've shown too in in the conversation we've had with you. It's not just going out on stage and doing stuff for people. There's a business behind it. There's you know uh, creativity and, and and time spent doing other things versus just going out there and entertaining. Yeah, no, definitely one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So, what is the biggest takeaway from your story? Um, I think the biggest takeaway is just perseverance. You know, um, I never thought I'd be here today. I never thought, um, like, be humble as well, because don't ever expect that big things are going to come, because then you're probably just going to be disappointed. I never expected big things. I was always humble, but I always kept pushing and persevering. And I think if you do that in any regard, whether you want to become a lawyer, a doctor, or even a magician, uh, if you go ahead and actually push and just keep pushing, keep practicing, you know, eventually something's got to give, you know, something will happen eventually, something good will come from it if you just keep pushing. Uh, you know, if, you know, Thomas Edison, you know, he failed 999 times with the light bulb. If he never went ahead and tried the thousandth time, we wouldn't have the light bulb, or at least he wouldn't have invented it. So, yeah, that's something I think. Uh, and it's something that I do big time is persevere, you know. Uh, it wasn't a, a rapid shoot of success, like shoot up to the top of success that I experienced. Like I was there, I'm still there, you know, 10 years, for 10 years, I was standing on the corner handing out flyers in the rain. I was getting told by people, oh no, like I'm not going to come to a magic show. I can just go on YouTube, you know. I was pushed down like that, uh, not necessarily intentionally by these people, but, you know, going out, handing out flyers and getting people to say no, you know, you see, you, you hand out these flyers on the street and then you walk past and you see like a whole bunch of your flyers in the bin because people have thrown them in, in the bin. It's very disheartening sometimes when you're actually doing that stuff. And it's hard to kind of keep pushing through. 
but sometimes if you just keep pushing and just keep on pushing you know good things can come eventually you just got to take it some of the stuff on the chin and just keep on persevering and eventually like i said something some big things will happen nice well brendan thank you so much for joining us today your story was inspiring it's uh i loved it and uh again thanks for joining us Sure. Thank you very much for having me and thanks for listening, everyone. I uh, hope everyone's having uh, an amazing day and staying safe and indoors and all that stuff. So thanks again for having me. The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled, all right reserved.